Welcome back to the People Analytics Podcast. Today, I have with me Kevin Campbell, who is the Employee Experience Scientist at Qualtrics, as well as the founder of Lifted Leadership, LLC. Thank you for being on the show, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So let's kick things off by asking who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Yeah. So um, I'm an Employee Experience Scientist with Qualtrics. Um, I have a, a background as an organizational psychologist, uh, and what I do for Qualtrics is I help organizations identify and close gaps in the employee experience. So I help uh, leaders identify uh, where they currently are with regard to their employee experience, help them articulate where they want to be, and build roadmaps to be able to close the gap between where they are and the type of employee experience they want to create and make connections between that employee experience and important business outcomes like turnover, customer experience, revenue, profitability, and uh, all the things that, that folks are in business to, to achieve. Yeah. So what are some of the topics you enjoy as an organizational psychologist? What do you love to pursue in that area? Well, I, I love really pursuing um, anything that that helps improve people's experience at work. Um, you know, we spend so much time at work, and it might not always be easy, um, but at least it could be satisfying and meaningful. Um, and and even in, in jobs that we might not consider um, the most fulfilling, uh, they might not necessarily be careers or calling. I think we can still make it something that at least isn't grueling. Um, and I, I believe the, the more that we can draw a connection between fulfilling, meaningful and enjoyable work and business outcomes, the, the more we can create a virtuous cycle that makes it so that more organizations want to create engaging and fulfilling jobs. And uh, really the, 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 the level of, of enjoyment and well-being and happiness for humanity overall will, will rise as a result of that. So that's, that's what really keeps me, me up in the morning and, and, and makes me excited to do this work. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit about, so let's say an organization um, wants to hire an organizational psychologist full-time or part-time. What does that role bring to the environment? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I, I, I think it, it well, I, I wouldn't always recommend hiring an organizational psychologist, yeah. to be honest, because, uh, you know, the, the role of an organizational psychologist is really much more of an academic um, so, so applying uh, social science research methods to questions about how people behave at work. Um, but folks that have an organizational psychology background are great for people science or employee experience science organizational development roles. Mm -hmm. um, I think there is a difference between pure organizational psychology and employee experience science or people science. Um, you know, em employee experience science and people science, it, it sort of sits at that intersection of industrial organizational psychology people analytics, and then applied practice. So it's it's not just understanding the data and, and using the data to drive business outcomes and drawing those connections. And it's not 
purely action-oriented practitioner um, uh, consulting. But it's both of those things and bringing in the domain expertise from organizational psychology. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of times you can uh, not necessarily have a background in organizational psychology and be um, a great data analyst and a great data scientist and and people analytics person um, to be able to say, okay, uh, when X goes up, Y goes up, or we can account for this much variance in, in Y as a result of X. But what the organizational psychologist background brings to the table is the ability to say, what's the story behind that? Uh, mm. what, what does theory tell us? What does the research tell us about what's likely to be happening there? And how do we turn that around? And how can we create something that's actionable around our findings to be able to um, put a story together, but also be able to put a plan together for improving experiences and improving these outcomes? Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Um, So one thing that I do want to focus on um, is your strategy as looking at um, onboarding as, you know, a customer service experience. So how do you utilize customer service uh, best practices when it comes time to onboard? Well, I, I think it really comes down to thinking about um, the, your, your employees are in many ways the, the consumers of your workplace. So the same way that customers, consumers have uh, all the choice in the world in terms of where they, they uh, choose to shop and, and who they choose to do business with, um, in a competitive labor market, uh, and, the, and the labor market is always competitive for the best people, uh, even when things are, are a, a little bit um, tighter, when unemployment is high, when you're looking at the top salespeople, top engineers, top data scientists, there's always going to be a competitive market for those folks. And um, those folks have their choice of where they choose to work. And the way that they're onboarded to an organization is going to impact their intent to stay. Uh, the level of extra discretionary effort they give toward their role uh, and the emotional and psychological uh, connection that they have toward the company that they work with. And it's just like onboarding a customer or, or um, uh, starting a, a new service experience with someone. Um, so if you ever think about just a, a great experience you've had as a customer or a consumer, you know, I, I think back to... Um, the, the place, the venue that my, my wife and I got married at, right? It was a, a, an all-inclusive resort in Cabo San Lucas. And when we, when we got off of the, the, the trolley ride, when we got off of the, when we stepped out of the taxi ride um, and entered the lobby, they greeted us with a cold towel and, uh, and champagne, Nice. Right. That was our first experience ever stepping onto that property. And this was, you know, we were going there to, to stay for a couple of days to evaluate whether or not we wanted to have our wedding there. Um, now, if you contrast that with the experience that most employees have when they start with an organization, you know, some retail organizations, the, the frontline managers are so busy that their first interaction with an employee might be over a text message. Um, mm-hmm. and when you think about what, what is that going to do to the sense of inclusion and belonging and likelihood that that employee is going to want to stay with that organization? Well, we've got data around that. We can show that when the manager doesn't have 
a one-on-one interaction on, on the employee's first day, there's a huge drop-off in terms of the amount of belonging that somebody has, oh, wow. the intent to stay, the motivation that they have toward their role. And being able to, to come to the table with that data helps frontline leaders know that, hey, it might seem like the, the higher priority thing for you to do is to deal with the burning platform that happens to be drawing your attention at that particular moment that makes it so that you can't meet and greet your employee on the first day. But actually, you're always going to be fighting fires and you're always going to be understaffed unless mm-hmm. you take that time to give that employee a really welcoming experience and be able to um, make sure that the the way that they start off is going to, to set them out on the right foot. Yeah. So how does competition look different compared to a few years ago? That's a great question. Uh, you know, just a few years ago, um, there was uh, an abundance in the the labor market, right? There was mm-hmm. uh, way more people uh, looking for jobs than there were jobs available. Uh, and uh, toward the beginning of this year, that changed. I think it started to level off to some degree, but um, there's always going to be competition for top talent and and people that are um, the best of the best within their given role. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think things have started to, to level off to some degree, um, but I, I don't think you're ever going to be in a situation where if you want a top salesperson, you want a top engineer, um, there's only a few people that can really do those jobs exceptionally well, uh, and there's always going to be a, a hot market for that kind of talent. Yeah, skilled work is, you know, it, it's necessary and incredibly valuable. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about how you uh, work with numbers and how you connect numbers to storytelling. Uh, so you could, can you give me a little bit of background on how you utilize analytics in your role? I mean, it's it's the center of everything that we do. Um, so you know, it, it, you really want to be able to to quantify um, what's happening, um, but it's not the the be all and end all. And, and what I mean by that is that there are people behind the numbers. Uh, So if you think about an engagement survey, as an example, a lot of people will talk about engagement as a data point, um, but what it really is, is it's a psychological state. So it's the amount of extra discretionary effort and and motivation and psychological connection that somebody has uh, toward their role. So... When I work with numbers and and I work with uh, translating data into a a storytelling experience, I really want to focus on the people first, then the abstract ideas, and then the numbers. So rather than saying our engagement is holding steady at 81%, I like to say things like eight out of 10 of our people are engaged at work. Right. Rather than saying sense of belonging is at 82%, you can say 82% of our people feel like they belong at our organization. That's uh, such a little shift, but it's, its impact is so, it's so there that you can, you know. 
Yeah, yeah. And it, it really goes back to, to putting people at the center and mm-hmm. understanding that the focus isn't on the people analytics department. It isn't on, on HR, but the focus is on um, our audience, the consumers mm-hmm. of this information and the consumers of this data, right? Like, do, do we want to collect data to understand uh, our people for the purposes of um, having just a, a deeper understanding? Or do we want to really help people make positive improvements in the workplace? Mm-hmm. So what are, what are our people trying to achieve, right? What's, what's the, the obstacles that they're facing? Uh, and what's the business impact that those, those people problems will have on the business, right? If, if you know that, that more than half of your highest rated salespeople are actively thinking about looking for another job, how does that threaten your ability to remain competitive in the marketplace? Right. That, that's that's a, a much more of a focus on the impact rather than just the focus on the number that says, oh, 51 percent of our people, um, only 51 percent of our people you know, intend to stay for the next year. Uh, really thinking about who are the specific people that are being impacted and how does that connect back to our stakeholders aspirations and the, the obstacles that are in the way of, of them achieving their aspirations. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned, um, you know, that it's people focus in terms of analytics. How do you engage uh, the employees uh, and help, you know, help them keep, um, you know, give that information for to you so you can eventually study it? Um, you know, I think there's there's the, the traditional way, which is... Um, active listening, like surveys mm-hmm. and touch point surveys, but there's, there's also a whole plethora of, of passive um, ways of, of collecting information, um, mm-hmm. such as digital suggestion boxes um, that oh, sit okay. at different touch points in the employee life cycle. So if you have an intranet that people use as part of their, their workflow, uh, or you have a system that they're using, being able to have a web intercept or a technical intercept where people can provide feedback is really helpful. Um, there's also the, the passive listening that comes from collecting data from um, interactions with bots, and interactions with uh, third-party websites like Glassdoor and Indeed, and being able to scrape that information to get uh, a real-time understanding of of how people feel at any given point in time. Um, In addition to things like your uh, ongoing engagement or pulse surveys and and touchpoint surveys, um, it's also important to think about uh, not just the the relational surveys that that people usually... um, uh, use in HR and people analytics. So when we think about most of um, the data that's collected, it's usually relational data, right? So, so how does uh, how does your workforce, how do your employees feel about the organization in general? What's the relationship they have uh, between themselves and and their work, right, and and their workplace? Uh, but there's also that that transactional. Um, data that's important as well, the transactional experience. So what's the experience of logging on to your intranet? What's the experience mm-hmm. of onboarding with your company? What's the experience of coming back from leave? What's mm-hmm. the experience of moving into a manager position after having been in an individual contributor position? And when you compare 
all of those experiences and all of those transactional touch points, you start to see that there's a constant stream of touch points and experiences that are happening that you can and should be collecting data on. And in the customer world, um, it's it's a lot more common uh, for data to be collected at that at those transactions. Um, and, and when you when you collect data um, and you survey people in the flow of work, uh, it doesn't feel as fatiguing, and it mm-hmm. feels much more relevant. So if you think uh, about like yeah. like um, uh, you know every business trip I, I ever go on, I, I probably do about like six different transactional surveys, and I don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. When I yes. when I check into the airport, there's usually a survey about the check-in experience. Uh, yep. <laughs> I'll, I'll often you know listen to an audiobook and then rate the audiobook at the end of the audiobook. I'll rate the the Lyft or Uber ride to and from the airport to the hotel and from my home, and then I'll probably rate the hotel at some point, and maybe I'll, I'll rate the DoorDasher or Grubhub person, right? And all of those surveys don't feel like surveys; they don't feel like a, a laborious task because it's happening within the flow of the work. Um, and on the employee experience and people analytics front, we also have the opportunity to do that. And to be able to draw connections across those different touch points to say, okay, when somebody comes back from leave, are we creating an experience that makes them want to stay with the company? Are we creating an experience that enables them to ramp back up and get back into the flow of work? Or are we inundating them with all these things? And they're like, well, maybe I just want to go home and, 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 uh, decide to, to stay with the kids instead of, uh, (laughs) instead of getting right back into the thick of things with work. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, you rate a lot of, you know, experiences. Do you do that because you know how they use the information and how important rating is? Yeah, that's that's absolutely uh, a part of it. Um, You know, a lot of people feel like uh, survey fatigue is is a big problem, and it is. But most survey fatigue is actually lack of action fatigue. Uh, people don't like filling out surveys, but yeah. they love having their opinions heard and acted upon. Mm-hmm. So if it if it feels more like you're actually making a difference in terms of how things happen, then people love giving their feedback. Uh, yeah. So it's really about the degree to which you can create a culture of acting on data and acting on feedback and having a, a constant improvement mindset. Mm-hmm. Now, a while back, you mentioned people problems um, as a term. So as uh, an organizational psychologist, what are some of the top people problems that you've encountered? Uh, well, there's a, a, a number. I, I think the, the biggest one that's the, the top of mind for most folks is turnover and retention. Mm-hmm. And I, I think one of the biggest problems with that is that People think about turnover in a, in a really one-dimensional, monolithic way, um, but there's good turnover and there's bad turnover. There are people that when they leave, you regret them leaving because it's going to be a net negative, a net minus mm-hmm. the organization. And there are people who leave that it's going to be a net positive. Um, yeah. There are also uh, times when people leave and it's just not preventable. 
there, there might mm-hmm. be a situation that uh, made it so that that person uh, had to take care of a family issue or something that's outside of the, the scope of what the organization can provide. Um, and when you are thinking about turnover and retention in that one dimensional way, you can miss the nuance between those different types of people leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another big, big uh, people problem is people who are who are what you might call tenants, <laughs> uh, <Okay. laughs> uh, people who are uh, have golden handcuffs where they might actually stay in the, the role. They're not turning over. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not necessarily engaged. They're not giving okay. extra discretionary effort and they don't have an emotional and psychological connection to the company. And for those folks, um, it's a really tricky situation because if you're, if you're not engaged in your role, why are you staying? Yeah. <laughs> well, you're probably staying because you can't find something better or you feel trapped in some way, shape or form. Uh, and, and that type of retention in many ways, is almost worse than turnover. Uh, mm. I think either turning those folks around or finding a graceful and compassionate way of helping them move on is another big people problem um, that that organizations and leaders face. Yeah. Now, what does a graceful and compassionate way of helping them move on look like to you? Well, you know, I, it's, it's interesting because I, I don't think a lot of people – think that they're going to become career coaches when they become managers. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think it, it really is about helping that person find their next dream job. Mm-hmm. As if they're not engaged in the role that they're doing, there's a good chance that it's not the thing for them. And there's probably something out there that will make them happier. And it's not to say that, um, you know, it's, it's, Everyone is going to. Um, everyone that exits your organization is going to go on to to find their dream role, um, but it could happen. And if you can help facilitate that conversation and make people comfortable enough with you to have that conversation, it can do a lot of things for you as a leader or as a manager. Uh, mm-hmm. One, it could it could make it so that you don't find yourself in a situation where you're short staffed unexpectedly. Because somebody has left and you have, you had no idea that they were looking, you had no idea that they were upset. And now everybody else has a ton more work because you're short a person. Um, If you're, if you're having that open dialogue with people, then at least, you know, what's coming and you can help facilitate that transition in a way that, that makes that offboarding something that's easier and less stressful for everyone. Um, also it's kind of counterintuitive, but, um, I've coached a lot of managers who have found the more they talk to their employees about their next job, the more often they are to stay in their current job. Wow. I, I, I coached a, a bank branch manager. I, I mean, I've coached thousands of bank branch managers, but one in particular who was was having a real challenge with turnover in his branch. And mm-hmm. a lot of the tellers that he had were college students. Mm-hmm. And when they would get their degree, they would immediately move on. And some mm-hmm. of his best employees would move on in this way. And he made it, unintentionally made it an environment where 
people were reluctant to talk about their plans after college because every time someone left, he would make such a fuss about it that oh, wow. nobody wanted to bring up those conversations. Yeah. But when he changed the narrative and he changed the conversation around, oh, how can we connect your marketing degree and, and your, your goals of moving into a marketing agency? What are the ways that we can think about how your job as a teller or a loan officer might prepare you for that next job? It's really cool. How can we make sure you have a really secure position here so that you make the decision to move into your next role because it's really a good fit and not because you're taking the first marketing job that comes along? Mm -hmm. so, so being able to draw those connections and help people see the, the connective tissue between what they're doing in their current role and what they ultimately want to do uh, made it so that they were able to find meaning and purpose and uh, ended up staying longer uh, in, in the bank branch. Wow. That's, and I, I see, you know, how if someone feels supported and not afraid to, you know, pursue what they want to do, they would definitely, you know, have that kind of loyalty. Um, and I've, as in my career, I've learned that just supporting someone is the best way to get loyalty and obviously not authoritative measures at all. It'll just get people to rebel even more. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about um, your coaching experience. You mentioned that you have coached a lot of bankers. So what, uh, what's a relationship like working with you as a coach? Well, right now, I, I only take on a, a very uh, limited amount of uh, coaching clients because, mm -hmm. you know, my full time role is, is as a uh, employee experience scientist with Qualtrics. That being said, I think coaching informs everything that I do um, mm -hmm. as, as, a, as, a, as someone who does a lot of things with data. Um, you know, data informs, but coaching inspires. Right. So, uh, yeah. so, you know, a big part of helping leaders and managers act on their people analytics data is taking a coach approach mm -hmm. and instilling a coach approach in them when it comes to taking action on the results that they see. So, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, recognition as an example, a lot of times recognition shows up as an area of concern or opportunity within people analytics data on an engagement survey or connections to turnover or motivation. Mm -hmm. And what do you do with that information? Well, a lot of organizations and a lot of leaders will take that and they'll go into a corner and they'll hatch a plan on their own without ever having a coaching conversation with their employees mm -hmm. about what does recognition mean to you? Mm. What types of recognition are meaningful to you? Yeah. And if you don't have that coaching approach, you could end up acting on people analytics data in a way that doesn't necessarily yield you the results that you want and could be a big investment. And big investments take a long time to, to carry through and yeah. they, they carry a lot of inherent risk. So um, 
being able to have a conversation-based, coaching-based approach to what you see with your team can really help you unpack insights that will allow you to co-create solutions Mm -hmm. so that you're not doing things to people, but you're doing things with people uh, Mm -hmm. and, and literally engaging them and involving them in the experience of improving the workplace and improving business outcomes. I love uh, I love that concept of not doing things to people, do things for people. That's a really great mindset. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and you know, the the results are are, are tangible, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. this, isn't, this isn't all soft. Um, uh, a, a great example is I was working with a large manufacturing company uh, who had uh, factories that were shipping uh, boxes of product without any product actually in the boxes. Mm. And they were going to hire a consulting firm to figure out the the root cause of this problem. And, you know, they were going to spend a lot of money on on, uh, fixing this particular issue. But Mm. they they had a stroke of genius. And they said, well, let's actually ask our factory workers on the front line to see if they can come up with a solution before we turn to external experts or before we, we try and throw money at this problem. Mm-hmm. Let's see if we can actually use the brilliance and, and engage our employees in solving this problem with us. And their solution was a $5 fan. <laughs> they set up a $5 fan on the assembly line. And when a box without product went by, the box flew off of the assembly line. <laughs> That's so clever. Right? So it, how many opportunities are there like that within an organization where you're, you're, not, you're not tapping into the whole person, right? You, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times organizations will, will hire a pair of hands, but guess what? You also get a brain, <laughs> you get a heart, <laughs> you get a eyes, right? And, and, and why not Why not involve yeah. the whole person in what they're doing? It'll not only yield you amazing business results and, and, and um, you'll be able to gather so many ideas for improvement, but in the process of involving and engaging people, you actually increase employee engagement, their commitment, their extra discretionary effort, and the connection that they have uh, toward your organization. Yeah. And I think, you know, it always comes back to that customer service outlook, um, you know, that you have. And now more than ever, um, you know, candidates interview jobs uh, as much as, you know, the hiring managers interview the candidates. Um, So that customer service experience, like from the interviewing process to onboarding and even into the role, it's got to be consistent. And, you know, I love that you shared that insight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, what, what experience do you want people to have? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you want to build that brand? Um, you know, I, there was a, a TikTok video that went viral of uh, a, a, a woman who had, had just started a new job in consulting straight out of college. And she was crying into the oh, camera um, about how she, she didn't know who her manager was. She felt oh completely gosh. lost. Um, she didn't know how to log into her computer. Oh. Um, now think about what that does, not only to that person, yeah. but to your brand as an employer. Yeah. 
right. you get the impression that your employer does not care enough to set you up to do your job. And think about the money that you're losing. Every every day yeah. that goes by that you hire someone and they're not ramped up and productive is a pure cost mm-hmm. to, to you as an organization. And if you can shorten that time from, from the day they start to the day they're productive, you're, you're adding a lot of business value and you're helping people have a better experience. Absolutely. Kevin, this conversation has been awesome. We covered so many different topics. They're all necessary. So if uh, listeners really got a lot out of this episode, what's the best way they can get in touch or learn more about you? Uh, the best way to get in touch is through LinkedIn. Uh, Kevin G. Campbell. There's a lot of Kevin Campbells out there. So including my middle initial is really helpful. Uh, and uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. I, I accept most connections. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to help if anybody has questions or, or needs help. Um, I'm really looking forward to, to really just getting this information out there um, to help people and, uh, and, and improve the world of work overall. Awesome. Well, if you or anyone you know is like Kevin and wants to make the workforce better for people, reach out to me, lindsay at staffgeek.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening.